You can be seated. Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning there, two quick things. One, uh, we have a class coming up uh, called uh, Foundations, and it is a return to the basics of theology, doctrine, what it means to follow Jesus. And it's being offered two different times throughout the week, on Sunday morning and on a midweek Wednesday night class. Um, And you can come to either one of those. It's not both. It's not like you come Sunday and then you have to come Wednesday for part two. Same class, both times each week, uh, trying to give multiple options for you to attend. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you want to return to some of that, you can do that. If you are new to the faith and just following him, uh, this would be a wonderful class to be a part of. Second thing, um, in addition to that, is tonight is our congregational meeting. And it's at 5 p.m. right here. It's a really important meeting. Uh, We're going to be laying out some details for the future of our church. Um, If you are a member of New Hope, if you've placed membership at our church, uh, you'll be asked to vote um, on a vote of affirmation for Jeff Scott to move from probationary to full-time elder. Uh, And then we'll be informing you of quite a bit of the plans uh, we feel the Lord is leading us to. A month from now, we'll have another meeting where you'll take the information presented at this meeting and we will vote together as a congregation about moving forward. And so want to make sure that you know about that. I invite you to come to that this evening at 5 o'clock. June 2nd, 2006. I was standing uh, right here, actually, on this very stage with every nerve in my body firing off. I was scared to death as I stared at those back doors in this very room, those same back doors, with great anticipation. It was the day of my wedding, and I was nervous in that moment. See, this was only the third wedding I'd ever attended in my life. It was my own. So I'd been to two before it, and now my own wedding. So I was completely inexperienced, and a lot of things went wrong. I messed a lot of things up at my wedding, okay? Uh, I didn't know how valuable outside pictures would be. And so we looked back, and we're like, man, it would have been good to have some pictures from outside. That would have been awesome. Because I hadn't been to many weddings, I didn't know how important it was to pay attention to the like, small intentional things with your family and your friends and uh, to just take advantage of those moments that you would never have again. And so I overlooked that. I didn't know the protocol for groomsmen gifts. And so my groomsmen, if they watch this, uh, if they were in my wedding, they will remember that I did not get them much of a gift. I paid for their ties and they were rented. So that's awesome. Uh, nailed that one, didn't I? Uh, maybe the 20-year anniversary will be a better gift for them. The night before the wedding, uh, all of the groomsmen, all of my friends, we were in a rented minivan, which is so cool. And we decided uh, we're going to go watch some of the NBA playoffs. Um, and so we wanted to find a Buffalo Wild Wings. And we weren't from, this was my second or third visit to this part of Indiana. We just didn't know where we were. It was not like it is now. Uh, it was just a lot of fields. And so we wandered, and we ended up downtown, incapable of finding a place to watch a ball game. And then one of my good friends, Heath, leaned in and said, hey, Rob, I know you want to get married tomorrow, but you need to know that none of the streetlights are facing us. We were going the wrong way on a one-way road in the middle of downtown Indianapolis the night before my wedding. We took a sharp turn to get off of that road. I messed up quite a bit uh, at my wedding. And leading up to my wedding, I walked through some pretty difficult things. It was a year of extreme transition in my life. Just three months before our wedding day, uh, just a little less than three months before our wedding day, my mom unexpectedly died. I had to finish that semester, my senior year of college, after losing her while preparing to get married. 
I got ordained into ministry in that gap of time as well and graduated from college and started my very first ministry at my, the first church I ever worked at full time, all in that three-month period of time. It had been a very interesting year, to say the least. There's a lot that I got wrong at my wedding. And quite honestly, there was a lot that went wrong leading up to my wedding. But the one thing standing right here on that day that I knew I didn't get wrong was asking Sarah Bourne to be my wife and to stand here waiting for her and her dad to walk down that very aisle. A lot of chaos around us, but I knew in that moment I didn't get that part wrong. And I sure would like to tell you that the last 16 plus years have been nothing but bliss. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You'd know better. In fact, talking about our uh, marriage this past week and just talking through our experiences, we both kind of agreed that while we wouldn't trade anything, we wouldn't trade this for the world, we have had moments where we wondered, did we make the right choice? Did we make the right choice to do this? The first six or seven years is what we narrowed it down to. The first about seven years of our marriage were not easy. I was full-time in seminary. We had little to no income at all. We welcomed our first three children into our uh, marriage, the first seven years of marriage. We were in over our heads, overwhelmed. I started work here in 2009 full-time, turned this place really quickly into an idol, Uh, Worked really, really hard and was distant from my family and disconnected and it was difficult. And we had these moments where we would stop and we would wonder, what did we get into? Did we make the right choice? I wonder, have you been there? See, before we get into the specifics about what do you do in marriage? What's our role in marriage? How do we have a really good marriage? We first need to address the bigger problem, what we're up against when it comes to being married. Let me illustrate it for you this way. I got this illustration from a preacher named Scott Nickel, who got it from someone else, and I've adapted it for us this morning. But I want to introduce to you, for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Jar. Okay? (laughs) Now, they met in a pretty normal way, like many of us met. They attended the same university, and he was on his way to the rec center to get a workout in because he had to work out to impress the ladies. And then he saw her sitting at the picnic table Uh, reading, and they caught eyes, and he had enough courage after his workout when the muscles felt nice and pumped to walk up to her and say, hey, and she said, hey, and all of a sudden, something started, right? Something started. They began to date, and when they first started dating, they loved spending time together. I mean, they were inseparable. They wanted to do everything they could together. They'd go out, fancy meals at fast food restaurants. I mean, their, their go-to was probably Chick-fil-A. And they, they loved just spending as much time as they could together. And then they get engaged. And he asked her that question that would change their lives forever. And she said, yes. And they got married. And they moved into their first place. You know, that dingy apartment with the dirty carpet and the broken closet doors that we've all had to endure. Or maybe not you. but And they get married. But hey, it doesn't matter how like torn up the apartment was or how stressful their new jobs were as they were just starting their careers and being taken advantage of by companies that knew they could take advantage of them. And they were just started this career. But what mattered the most is that when they got home, they were together. And that's what mattered the most. I mean, we get to be together. And then some time passed and they got comfortable. I don't even have to explain that, right? You're like, yeah, we all do, right? They got comfortable with each other. 
And they began to have some expectations, some desires that weren't being met. They were running tired. They were both working really, really hard. And one day she says to him, it's a Monday, like, hey, I know it's going to be a long day, but man, I'm working uh, some overtime today. And when I get home, it'd just be awesome if the dishes and the laundry were done so I didn't have to worry about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get it. So he ends up having to work a little bit late, the culture on Monday night football, and so he's going to sit and watch the game, and he sits down, he's watching the game, she comes in, she's frustrated, he's frustrated because he's watching the Colts, so <laughs> there you go. And so there, there's just some tension in the room, and she looks at him and says, hey, the dishes aren't done, the laundry's not done, you always do that. Hmm, where'd that come from? Something just kind of came out. He's like, you have no idea how hard my day was. You didn't even ask me. You just wanted these chores. And I told you I'd get to him. I just didn't get to him when you wanted me to get to him. Man, that comes out. Where'd that come from? I mean, everything was fine. Like, where's this coming from? So she goes the next day, and she's talking to her mom and her best friend, and she's telling them, we just have some tension. Things are frustrating. Her mom's like, man, I don't know what you ever saw in him. And her best friend's like, he needs a counselor. Like, he needs to tell him about Thrive Point. And so... They, they like, and like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So she comes and says, hey, my best friend says you need a counselor. He's like, oh, well, she's never been married. And let's face it, we both know she never will be. So like, <laughs> like, boom, and then boom, and then boom. Well, she's a better friend than you. Well, that explains everything. Why is it that we can all relate to this? We can all relate to it. See, why is it that when she speaks, this comes out, and when he speaks, this comes out? Well, it's because that's what's in there. Like, that's what's inside of them. And when we get bumped into or we get crashed into and that's what's inside, inevitably that's what will come pouring out into the lives of the people that are around us. Jesus was very clear about this. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, what's inside of us, the mouth speaks. And what's really going on inside of us is what really will come out of us when we're bumped into, when we're crashed into, when people irritate us or rub up against what we thought was our vision and our dream, our needs, our desires, our personal health, what we think should be the right way to do things, and they bump into that. And then the person that we've invited into to meet all of those needs realizes that they can't do it and oftentimes don't want to carry that type of weight for somebody else's life, and all of a sudden it's more crashing and more spilling and more difficulty in the relationship. And it's not all your fault, right? You've been sold a lie. You were told somewhere along the line that there's somebody out there for you that can complete you. There's somebody out there for you that can fix all that's been broken inside of you. There's somebody out there who, if you'll just get this relationship right, will bring harmony and peace to your life. They'll fix what was broken in your life. And so we enter into these relationships thinking you're the one person that can fix everything that I'm frustrated about in life. If we can just get married and have this great life, everything will be good together. And you turn them into a God because they're not God. They can't take those unrealistic expectations and fulfill them, and all of a sudden, we have tension. See, we're asking our spouses to answer the deepest question of our hearts, what's broken in our hearts, to heal it, and they can't. They're incapable of it. In fact, the only way for the brokenness of your heart to experience any kind of healing is for your clarity around the gospel to become primary in your life. 
See, if you're looking for your spouse to transform your life, they will fail you. As a matter of fact, I'll say it this way. The one thing your spouse will never fail to do is fail you. That's the one thing they'll get right every single time your entire marriage. They will always let you down if the expectation is that they would carry the weight of your healing, of your wholeness, because they can't do that. They can't carry that weight. And then when they do, you're sold the second lie. So there's two lies. One, there's somebody that's going to complete you. The second lie is when they don't, you just found the wrong one, so go find the right one. So just bail. You don't need to be involved with this. This isn't good for you, and this isn't helping you. So go find that one person that will complete you, that will bring that harmony and that peace and that joy to your life, and you can just leave this relationship and go find the one that will fulfill you, that will bring wholeness to your life. See, Satan's winning the day when it comes to marriage in our culture. And as a pastor, I will tell you, I'm sitting and watching Satan destroy relationships over and over again because of this, because we have these unrealistic expectations of wholeness that the other person can't carry. And you're watching these relationships and these lies be perpetuated in the lives of people, and it's destroying the very fabric of marriage in our culture. And there's a better way. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul lays out this better way. As he transitions into this part of chapter 5, he's going to begin to tell us about relationships. But it's really dependent upon our understanding of everything he said in chapter 1 through the first part of chapter 5. This isn't a self-help, quick-fix thing. He's saying all of these truths culminate and they spill into your life. That's why I like Ben's title, not the other titles, just the title, uh, Bring It Home. Because it's how do I take everything that I've been learning that Paul's been teaching us in Ephesians 1 through the first half of chapter 5, and how does this actually impact my life? And he's going to begin to spell that out for us. But it's important to understand some of the things he's called us to first. You're called to live different, to live a transformed life, walking with Jesus if you ever want to have a healthy marriage the way that you're hoping and dreaming. Uh, Let me build us some context here, just using chapters 4 and 5. You can go all the way through, but for the sake of time, let's look at 4 and 5. Look at chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Paul writes, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the goal of your life is to keep the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. That's our focus in life. You have to live that direction with your life. Chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. You were taught, taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you're called to be transformed. You're called to live different, to look different. Your life should stand out. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says this, Follow God's example, therefore... Not the world's example, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He is building a case that the church, Christians, should look different than the rest of the world in everything that we do. Chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, you were once darkness, but now you're the light. You're different than everything else that's going on around you. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out. Your goal is to find out what pleases the Lord. And then it culminates in chapter 5, verse 15 to 18. Be careful then how you live. Don't stumble into this way of life. You don't just become a Christian one day and never have to pay attention to the way you live. He says, live as wise, not as the unwise, but as the wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So seek what God wants you to do in every circumstance, and you have to be transformed to do it. And he says, you can't do that, right? Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Then he has this key thing. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which builds this case. God wants you to live different than everything else in the world, which means our very understanding of how we relate to one another. How do I relate to other human beings? How do I build my friendships? How do I parent my kids? How do I relate to my spouse in marriage? It's different than what the rest of the world says. You have to look different. If your marriage doesn't stand out from your, un, uh, your, your uh, non-Christian friends, then something's off. Two people that are pursuing Jesus in marriage together will look different. That's what Paul's saying. Your life should look different, but you can't do it unless you're filled with more and more of the Holy Spirit, which means if you're not a Christian, you can't pursue this type of life. So you have to walk with Jesus, and then he's going to build this strong case for how this spills into our relationships. Look at what he says. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Here's how Paul says all of this truth about living transformed. Here's how it looks as you relate to the people that you're around. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. You can be seated. There's this pivotal verse that is really important for us to understand if we're going to get anything out of the rest of this passage, and it's found there in verse 21. Grammatically, this is what you would call a transition verse. It's taking us from the, really the, the pivotal point of verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Here's what it looks like to live a Spirit-filled life, and he transitions with verse 21 into how to relate to other people, and what he says is this. God has taken, because of the work of Jesus, all of humanity. And if they're a Christian, they enter into this church family. And the church family relates to one another different than the rest of the world. And he says, submit to one another. You should have this, this sense of submission and care for all of the people that are around you that's motivated by your reverence for Jesus. This is what Paul says in verse 21. That's your key verse. We'll look at the other verses next week. 21 is important. And here's my tension. Many people are like, well, no, that's like, I get that. Dude, yeah, yeah, be a Christian. Now, what do we do to fix our marriage? This is it. Verse 21 is pivotal, right? Looking at Jesus, everything else flows from that. This is a, this is a continual pattern in your New Testament. I think it culminates in Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul says, uh, consider the needs of other people over and above yourselves. And you should have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself and gave himself up for the benefit of other people. This is what Paul explains there. You see it here. What he's saying is this. 
Your relationships will thrive the way God wants them to thrive when you see Jesus with the clarity you need to see him with. Out of your reverence from him, the relationships that you have around you, they come from the overflow. I'll say it this way. What you bring to your marriage, if you want it to be healthy, the role you play in your marriage relationship should come from the overflow of the transformation that's taking place in your own heart as you stand in awe of Jesus. Now, that sounds like easy for Christians, but I want to say it again. What you bring to the relationship, if you want it to be healthy, needs to come from the overflow of what's taking place in your heart as you stand in worship of him day in and day out. So a healthy marriage looks like two people that are worshiping Jesus. I want to align my heart with him and now relate to my spouse together, and our hearts are being transformed. An unhealthy marriage looks like two people that aren't looking at Jesus, and they're trying to get the most they can out of this relationship. One author said, your biggest problem is your own self-centeredness, your sinful self-centeredness. I want what I want out of this relationship, and when I don't get it, I'm bailing or it's going to be miserable. That's an unhealthy marriage, right? And so the goal is for two people to be focused on Jesus. When I meet with couples, whether I'm doing premarital counseling or marriage or just sitting with a young couple that's starting to date to, and, and, and we're talking, one of the things that I really do notice is I try to pay attention to the way they describe Jesus, each of them. Tell me your faith journey leading up to this moment. Tell me about your walk with the Lord. Sometimes they, I feel like I'm boring them with that question. Like, duh, you should assume we're talking to a pastor. We're already Christians. But what I'm trying to pay attention to is the way they describe Jesus. Because without fail, 100% of the time, their description of their relationship with Jesus is reflected in the health or lack thereof in their marriage. 100% of the time. Describe your relationship with Jesus. Well, I just need you to fix this thing that we're going through. No, no, no. Describe your relationship with Jesus. Because the way you describe him is going to tell me about whether or not your marriage is healthy or not. So how you see Jesus will impact how you relate to the people that are around you. And it will impact what you see in them. Do you see the person that you're married to as someone who's not meeting your needs? I need this, and I expect this, and our marriage should look like this, and -and so-and-so's marriage looks like that. Why can't you do what they do? And is is it just this constant desire to get what you want out of the relationship? Or is it, man, I see something in you, this transformation that's taking place. I see potential in who you could become, and I want to pour into that. I love the way Tim Keller describes this. Here's, Here's what he says. For Christians, to fall in love is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you into, and that excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey that you're taking toward his throne. That's just such a beautiful description. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence. See, in other words, he's saying, my goal in my marriage is to get ready, get you prepared to be with him. I want to help you on your journey to becoming who God's creating you to be. So to make it personal for me, my relationship with my wife, Sarah, the goal of our marriage is that I would get you closer to Jesus. That should be the goal when we were dating, when we were engaged, when we've been married. The number one objective is I want to prepare you to spend forever with him. And I want to do my part in getting you ready to walk with the Lord. And her goal for me should be the same thing. I see who God's creating you to be, and I'm so excited about what he's doing to transform your life. So I'm excited about the transformation taking place in my heart and in my spouse's heart and what God is doing in that. So here, here's my caution to you. If you're not married, 
It is so unbelievably important for you to be picky and choosy about who you're going to marry and spend the rest of your life with. It is unbelievably important that you focus on what it is that you're talking about, about the person and what their goals are, what they see in you, what they see in their future. See, when people are getting married, one of the things I want to do is I won't preach a wedding if I don't do premarital counseling or that they don't get it from somebody that I can then call and say, hey, how'd it go? Because I believe so much in what marriage is and what God intended for it to be. You got to be really intentional leading into it. And so if you're not married and you're like, well, who am I going to marry? Let me ask you this. What is it you talk about? I mean, are you just talking about your career, financial goals, vacations that you want to go on one day, your favorite furniture that's going to populate the apartment that you're going to get to live in when you finally get married? Like, what is it? What is it? Or, man, what is God doing in your heart? Where's he been challenging you? What are you reading in God's word that's really changing the way that you're thinking about the world? How are we relating to one another as it relates to our understanding of Jesus and what he's doing? You see, what we talk about is a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. And if there's no transformation taking place in our heart, how are we going to help the other person and the transformation that needs to take place in their heart? For those of us that are married, those of us that have been married, this quote is a beautiful picture of what a healthy marriage looks like. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, that isn't a picture of our marriage, but it could be. What would it look like if instead of looking for the nine or 10 practical steps of the brand new marriage book that came out or the thing that they're taught, the conference that they want you to go to or the trip that you're going on that will revitalize and refresh your marriage? What if you started with a simple thing about, hey, we don't talk enough about God and we haven't been reading his word. And I want to know what's going on in your heart. I want to know how you're being transformed. What if we started with the transformation taking place in our heart? And the journey that we're helping the person we're supposed to love more than anyone else in the world and the transformation that takes place in their heart. You see, everybody wants practical steps, but a transformed life starts when you are understanding what God's doing in your heart and you're selfless enough to focus on the transformation that needs to take place in their heart. Say it this way. Your heart can only be healed by Jesus, not your husband, not your wife. Your connection to him is what will bring the healing in your heart that's necessary for you to help the healing in their heart as well. So I want to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer it right away. I don't want you to just assume the answer to it. I would love for you to take this question and really wrestle with it over the next few days. Maybe ask God to really reveal some things that you might need to talk about with your spouse. Maybe you need to repent, apologize, start new. Here's the question. Is your marriage and every other relationship in your life for that matter, but let's focus on your marriage. Is it a reflection of your own self-centeredness or the reverence that you have for Jesus? If I watched your marriage, would I see somebody who is in awe of what God is doing around them? Or would I see somebody who's just wanting what they want when they want it? Is your relationship, dating, engaged, or married, a reflection of the worship that you're experiencing with Jesus or just not getting what you want? Let me illustrate for you this way. This is Robertson McQuilkin. He was a beloved seminary and university president and professor at Columbia Bible College. He was married to his wife, Muriel, for 55 years. They served as missionaries to Japan, professors, mentors, coaches, ultimately in the presidency of this university. And for the last 13 years of their marriage, Muriel suffered from Alzheimer's disease culminated in the year 1990 when Robertson knew he had a decision to make. He 
the seminary, the, the university needed him 100% of the time, but his wife needed him 100% of the time. And this is someone who loved the Lord deeply, whose heart was being transformed, who desired his wife to be ready, regardless of what she was going through, to spend forever with Jesus. And so he said the decision was quite easy. But I want to read you his description of his decision-making process. Here's what he wrote to his colleagues. Recently, it has become apparent that Muriel is contented most of the time that she's with me, and almost none of the time when I'm away from her. It's not just discontent. She's filled with fear, even terror, that she's lost me and always goes out in search of me when, I'm, when I leave home. So it's clear to me that she needs me now, full time. The decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for her in sickness and in health till death do us part. So as I told the students and faculty, as a man of my word, integrity has something to do with it, but also fairness. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 40, I would not be out of her debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic. But there's more. I love Muriel. She's a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of that wit I used to cherish, so her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continual distressing frustration. I don't have to care for her. I get to. It is a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. And you read that and you're like, I want that. I want that. I want to be so concerned. So sacrificially concerned with my spouse being ready. I just wonder if Maybe one of the reasons we just want practical self-help steps to marriage and we don't want to really discuss the heart change that needs to take place is because we really want control. And the idea of the lordship of Jesus, like submitting control and really welcoming Jesus into the everyday stuff of my life, it's, it's overwhelming at times. Why? Because if I do that, then, then maybe my spouse won't do what I want them to do. If my chief concern is just their transformation, then what if they don't change this thing and I don't get this thing from them and... What if, what if a part of the mystery that Paul talks about here as it relates to marriage in particular is not so much that if we make this change, we don't get what we want, but what if in the transformation, he changes the very thing that we do want? What if as we pursue him, he changes us in such a profound way that our deepest desire is their transformation? Let me ask it this way. What if Jesus truly is better I mean, what if he really is better than the idealistic and oftentimes unrealistic view of marriage that we've placed on the altar of our hearts? What if he is the true and better way? And being transformed by him is the beginning of changing our marriage. Let's pray. Father, we live in a, just a difficult world with all these mixed marriage, uh, messages about marriage and relationships. We come to church and we feel ready to go and then we get out into the world and it's telling us that marriage is all about us and what we need and what we get and what we want. But it's pretty clear in Ephesians that you've called us to live different, to look different, to be different. You want our marriages to stand out from marriages that are in the world. You want us to sacrificially give to be more concerned with the transformation that takes place because of the gospel than we are with what we get out of things. But man, we can't do that without you, Father. So would you help us, as Paul writes, to be filled 
with more and more of your spirit to give us what we need to pursue you, that we might stand in awe of you in all of our relationships, our marriage primarily, but all of our relationships would benefit from the overflow of our worship of Jesus. And we ask for that in his name. Amen. We're going to respond with communion. And you have the cup with the bread and the juice. What a time to sit and just focus on Jesus. For many of us, it might be a time to really repent. I mean, really just sit and say, I haven't let the relationships around me be really characterized by the transformation in me. And so I need to start right here and right now, realigning my heart with Jesus. And so we remember his sacrifice. He lived the life you couldn't live, no matter how hard you worked, no matter how talented you are. He died for you so that he could redefine your entire existence. But you got to let him. And you got to keep letting him over and over again. And so we have this moment every week to pause, to check our hearts, to make sure that we're letting him transform us. Father, we offer you these next few moments in worship of Jesus. And all God's people said,
go ahead and take a quick seat. If you've been at New Hope for a while, you know that one of the things that we value so much is missions. Um, since the very first meeting that our church gathered, we took up a collection for missions, and for 50 years, every Sunday, we've done the same. We partner with people all over the world. One of the things that you have seen recently practically is for the Ukraine. You can give and bring in things that are going to go to the Ukraine that are going to help people in need. And so you see the trailer right out on the property. We're trying our best to put as much as we can in that. you got one more week. You can come throughout the week, come back this evening at the congregational meeting, uh, bring goods and things that will help them. Another thing is from time to time, we have some of our mission partners that are around the world here with us. And I'm going to invite the Morrises uh, to make their way up, uh, David and Philomena, and headed back to India on Tuesday, and Arthur and William, uh, their children are going to actually be here with us. They attend school here locally, and uh, they've been members of our church for many, many years, and partners of us for many years as well. And uh, I've had the joy of actually being on site in India with them, and seeing the Bible college, and the churches, and the villages, and seeing this uh, ministry firsthand, and it's a joy. Uh, but we wanted to spend some time praying for them, and, he's, and David's going to give you two specific things that you can continue to pray about in the months coming before they head back on Tuesday. It's a great blessing to be with the church family again, and of course, Rob's been talking about church family and personal family. We're excited about getting back because we get right into the Christmas program, Christmas program 2022. Well, we're trying to go to 500 churches, and we're going to ask you to especially pray for that. Um, the Christmas program we offered, the gift this year is Illustrated uh, Life of Christ. I don't know how many of you remember it, but it, the whole telling of, of Christ's ministry in pictures. And so we give that gift, and it, each village takes $250 to do the whole program. But we're going to go to 500 villages with that. I'm just, I asked everybody to chip in in case I forget something. What we're doing is, is we're um, translating the life of Christ illustrated into the local languages. Because if we, tra if we circulate in English, it's just not going to have that kind of impact. Mm -hmm. So we're translating it into Tamil and Malayalam and Telugu and Hindi. Um, so as soon as we get back, we've got a lot of work to do to get the translation teams, to get the printing to get it all out there. Uh, 50,000 copies is what we're, we're planning to do. Yeah, praise God for that. And, and the second prayer request was for the leadership. Um, so yeah. they've been going for 70 years in India. Uh, the mission was started by David's parents, and uh, they have multiple generations of leadership that they're concerned and uh, focusing and planning for, and so we're going to join them in praying for a multi-generational leadership to rise up um, as well. And so thank you. Uh, it's yeah. been a joy to partner with you. If you have any questions, you can ask uh, Arthur yeah. and William. Yeah, put them on the spot. <laughs> How you like that? How you like that, guys? Let me pray for you. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we uh, thank you for David and Philomena. Uh, we thank you for the entire ministry, for the professors, uh, the preachers, those that are loving and caring for people all through India. God, thank you for the partnership in the gospel. I think of Paul's words to the church in Philippi. What a joy it is to partner with them in the work of the gospel. Be with this Christmas program, help, to help it to multiply and make disciples throughout India. And Father, be with them as they continue to plan for the future of this mission. Give them wisdom and discernment. 
And thank you again, God, for the joy it is to partner together. And we ask you for all of these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, have a great week. Thank you for being here. Make sure to come up and say hi to them if you get a chance.